welcome to this weekly audio digest session of the National. The Monday, 3rd to Friday, the 7th of June, 2019. Read by volunteers at Q and Review, print speaking to the blind, at our studios in the Bishop Browse Media Centre. The headlines in part one. SNP to help shape EU's future as MEP poised for key post. Smith set to become president of European Free Alliance grouping. Pressure heats up on Tories to hold inquiry into symbolic EU election. Teachers seek 20-hour limit on classroom time. Record-breaking Kiltwalk raises 800k. Edinburgh named as worst UK city for congestion. Lost medieval Lewis Chessman found in Scottish family's home. Letters by Bakken Johnson. Trump is being consistent. Letters. We need our own TV stations to respond to biased broadcasting. D-Day. The Scottish forces who fought on crucial day of World War II. Biffy Clyro to feature in Balance, no symmetry film, at EIFF. Here, who is on the Question Time panel this week? Trump to hold talks of UK Environment Secretary Michael Gove. Donald Trump is a clown, not a statesman to be fawned over. Donald Trump in dramatic U-turn over US access to the NHS. Theresa May resigns as leader of the Conservative Party. Line of Duty star Martin Compton calls for Euro 2020 matches. There were so many lies, says Natalie McGarry's former colleague. Glasgow and Aberdeen airport strike after mid-pension row. Former SNP MP Natalie McGarry is jailed for 18 months. The National, Monday, June the 3rd, 2019. SNP to help shape EU's future as MEP poised for key post. Smith set to become president of European Free Alliance Grouping. This is an exclusive article by Kathleen Nutt. The SNP is set for unprecedented influence over the future shape of the EU, with the party's most senior MEP poised to become leader of a key group in the European Parliament. Alan Smith is expected to be confirmed tomorrow as President of the European Free Alliance, or EFA, which sits with the Greens in the Parliament. The Greens' EFA is on course to be one of the two political groups which will hold the balance of power in the Parliament after a 40-year-old alliance between the centre-right European People's Party and the Socialists and Democrats lost its majority in the elections. As such, it will have a significant input on the EU's political direction and over who succeeds Jean-Claude Juncker as the European Commission's President. Smith is among the longest-serving MEPs in the EFA and through has hat into the ring for leadership in Belgium last week. No other candidate has put his or her name forward. The position is initially for two and a half years and can be extended for the course of five-year term. It is understood Smith already has the support of four of the eight members of the EFA group with the position decided tomorrow. The president of the EFA automatically becomes vice president of the Greens EFA. Smith's expected appointment comes as the UK is due to leave the EU before the 31st of October, following extensions given by the EU to the original Brexit day of March 29th. However, backing Smith for the leader suggests MEPs in the group, which includes Smith's two SNP colleagues as well, as the politicians from Corsica, Latvia, Catalonia and Wales, Expect the UK will not meet the new Brexit deadline or even a subsequent one. Having been here for 15 years, I confirm I will put myself forward for President of the Group to continue your work and to make a commitment to stopping Brexit, he told the EFA meeting. He later told the National, This is me making a commitment to the Group, but it is also the Group making a commitment to us. As a commitment to me personally, in terms of we want to see you here, but also in terms of we want Scotland to stay. What better way to underline that than making a Scottish MEP EFA president? Regarding the potential influence the Greens slash EFA group, Smith said 
The arithmetic is still forming. The groups are still forming. Winning people, losing people. There are a couple of seats which haven't been allocated. Belgium is still working stuff out, as are Spain and Ireland. But it is looking increasingly clear that the EFA Greens are going to have the balance of power. The Greens EFA will have a significant say in who takes up the leadership of the European institutions, including Juncker's successor as European Commission's president, and as a consequence shape the EU's political direction until 2024. Among the possible contenders for the top posts are Manfred Weber, the European People's Party, EPP, Hans Timmermans for the Socialist Slash Democrats, and Mikhail Barnier, the high-profile chief Brexit negotiator. Barnier is said to be favoured by their French president, Emmanuel Macron. Each new president is nominated by the nation-states and the European Council and elected by the European Parliament for a five-year term. Smith said he would be pressing the candidates on Brexit and Scotland's place in Europe. I'll be asking them to clarify their own view on what Scotland's position is and should be. I know they want Scotland and the UK to stay, but I'll be saying, let's have that on the record, he said. We will work out what questions we want to ask depending on who the candidates actually are. But from my position it will be, I might support you, but what are you offering Scotland? Smith added, President Donald Tusk and the European Council has been very vocal, very clear and he hopes the UK will change its mind. President Juncker and the Commission less so. So if we had a clear expression of regret about Brexit, such as, of course, the UK can change its mind, that would be helpful. Because I think we can change the weather on Brexit and get a different solution. The candidates have all, to various extents, said if the UK changes its mind, Brexit doesn't need to happen, but some have been more enthusiastic in that than others. We will tease this issue out and we'll, that will be part of the process in electing the next EU Commission President. Smith's selection as President would not be unprecedented, with SNP MEP Ian Hudson has previously served as EFA President. However, due to the parliamentary makeup, the European People's Party and Socialist Democrats have a majority. The Greens' EFA had less influence than they are set to have in the new, more fragmented 2019-24 Parliament. This article is an exclusive by Kathleen Nutt. The National Monday, June the 3rd, 2019 Politics Pressure heats up on Tories to hold inquiry into symbolic EU election. This article is by Craig Cairns. Pressure is mounting on the Tories to launch a public inquiry into the symbolic handling of the European Parliament election with voter disenfranchisement on a massive scale. SNP MPs will this week turn the heat up on the Conservative government after thousands of EU nationals were denied the right to vote in last month's poll. On the day, thousands of EU nationals living in the UK turned up at the polling stations only to find their name scored out and to be turned away. Some were told to vote in their own country. As Westminster returned from recess, the SNP planned to press the Tory ministers to come to a Parliament and answer qu- calls for a full investigation into the failures and mistakes which led to the Denied My Vote hashtag trending on Twitter. Thomas Shepherd will reference a petition which has already secured 100,000 signatures, the number required to force a parliamentary debate and response from the UK government. Shepherd, the SNP's Cabinet Office spokesperson, said the government's refusal to make UC1 forms, the document required to rectify any issues available at the polling stations, its failure to prepare for the elections until the last minute, its failure to publicised the requirements properly and a series of administrative errors had all contributed to eligible voters being turned away. The UK government must launch a public inquiry into its symbolic handling of the European elections and the failings and mistakes that led to voter disenfranchisement on a massive scale, he said. EU citizens have been treated appallingly by the Tories and their hostile environment policies. He continued, this shameful treatment must end now. Tory ministers must apologise for their incompetence and ensure a full investigation so this can never happen again. 
They must explain why they repeatedly ignored the concerns raised by the SNP before the election and point-blank refused to make the UC1 forms available at the polling stations, as we asked. The SNP raised the issue directly with the Prime Minister in advance of the May 23rd election, including when Joanna Cherry, during PMQs the day before, put forward the concerns of some constituents. Cherry blamed the government's late decision to take part in the election, meaning sufficient time was not given to get the necessary forms to the affected people and urged Theresa May to act that afternoon. The SNP's justice spokesperson specifically requested the UC1 forms were made available at polling stations. The PM's response was to ignore the warning and blame the Parliament for rejecting her Brexit deal. EU nationals are our friends, our colleagues, neighbours and family members, continued Shepard. They contribute hugely to our public services, our economy and they are part of the very fabric of our society. Westminster should be utterly ashamed of how it has treated our fellow citizens. The day after the election, Scotland's Constitutional Relations Secretary, Michael Russell, wrote to the UK Cabinet Office Minister, David Liddington. It followed a letter dated April 3rd, in which Russell expressed concern about the lack of time being afforded to EU citizens to complete the required UC1 forms. This article is by Craig Cairns. The National Monday, June the 3rd, 2019. News. Teachers seek 20-hour limit on classroom time. This article is by Greg Russell. Scotland's teachers, fresh from the significant success of their long-running pain campaign, are to turn their attention to cutting the time they spend in the classroom to 20 hours or less per week. The annual conference of the Educational Institute of Scotland, EIS, which represents more than 80% of the teaching professionals, will get underway in Perth on Thursday and will discuss the demands from some branches to reduce classroom time to as low as 17.5 hours a week. They say this would allow teaching staff to spend more time making and preparing lessons within the working day and reduce the amount of time they spend doing this at home in the evenings and at weekends. Along with the reduction in classroom hours, teachers will also consider whether class sizes should be cut to 20 across the board. The final conference agenda is published today and includes a motion from EIS local associations in Glasgow and South Lanarkshire stating that workload and helping children with additional support needs ASN are still major causes of stress for teachers. To tackle this, they say unions should campaign to reduce class sizes to a maximum of 20 in all mainstream classes and also campaign to secure a negotiated reduction of maximum class contact time for teachers to 20 hours per week and to increase preparation correction time to 10 hours per week. A similar motion from the EIS, Edinburgh Association calls for maximum class contact hours of 17.5 hours a week coupled with the maximum class sizes of 25, apart from the practical subjects where it says classes should have no more than 20 students. It wants these changes to be progressed on an incremental basis so they are fully in place by August 2025. The motions will be put to the vote during the three-day EIS annual meeting in Perth where teachers will gather after winning a 13% pay increase staggered over three years from the Scottish Government and Councils. That again amounts to a 13.51% increase over the three years, including combined increases totalling 10% payable this year, 2019. EIS General Secretary Larry Flanagan said, as Scotland's largest teaching union and oldest organisation of its type in the world, its annual meeting is one of the key events in Scottish education calendar. This year's event comes following the significant success of the EIS campaign on teachers' pay, a campaign that was originally outlined in an AGM debate two years ago. While the value education value teachers campaign has achieved its aims on improving pay this year's AGM will seek to move forward related to campaigning issues such as tackling severe workload reducing class sizes and improving additional support needs provision 
Flanagan also said that many other challenges must be addressed. He added we have a total of 59 motions to be debated at this year's AGM, covering a wide range of education, equality, employment relations, salaries and organisational matters. The AGM will shape the priorities for the EIS and for Scottish education in the year ahead. While teachers have clearly welcomed the success of the campaign on pay, there are many other challenges that must be addressed to ensure that Scotland's education system can continue to offer the best opportunities for all young people. This article is by Greg Russell. The National Monday June the 3rd, 2019 News Record-breaking kilt walk raises 800k This article is unattributed. A record-breaking 3,200 kilt walkers took to the streets of Aberdeen yesterday, raising more than £800,000 for charity. Some 1,650 walkers galled at 9am at Portark Green in Bakori to take part in the 26 mile Mighty Stride with an additional 830 taking part in the 15 mile Big Stroll which set off from Crace Castle at 11am and more than 700 others tackling the 5 mile Wee Wonder. All walkers finished at the Kiltwalk Village in Duffy Park. Every £1 raised by the walkers received a 40% boost from Sir Tom Hunter and the Hunter Foundation. Kilt walkers in Aberdeen will raise approximately £600,000, bringing the overall total to £800,000 once the 40% boost is applied. Kilt walk CEO Paul Cooney said, The people of Aberdeen City and Shire have truly embraced Kilt walk and it's reflected in the record-breaking numbers. The atmosphere created by our walkers who are helping more than 300 charities was very special and they didn't let the threat of rain spoil their day or their fundraising. A huge thank you on behalf of Sir Tom and all of us at the Kilt walk to the real heroes of today, our army of 3,200 Kilt walkers. Malcolm Buchanan, chairman of the Royal Bank of Scotland's Scotland board said it is truly inspirational to see so many people from across North East come together to support so many great charities making a difference to some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. We are proud to be a partner of the Kilt Walk and have the opportunity to do our bit to help make this the biggest charitable mass participation event in Scotland. There is still time to take part in the remaining Kilt Walks in Dundee and Edinburgh and we would encourage everyone to get their boots on and get involved. Last year, Kilt Walk raised more than £5 million for charity. The next walk from St Andrews to Dundee takes place on August 18th and Edinburgh Kilt Walk will be held on September 15th. This article is unattributed. The National News Recorded on the 4th of June 2019 Edinburgh named as worst UK city for congestion from the National News Desk. Drivers in Edinburgh faced the worst traffic congestion in the UK, according to new figures. Analysis by SatNav manufacturer TomTom suggests that a typical rush hour journey in the Scottish capital takes 40% longer compared with free flow conditions. London is the second worst city for congestion, with an average extra travel time of 37%, followed by Bournemouth, Hull and Belfast, of 34% each. On average, UK motorists driving in peak hours spend an extra five and a half days stuck in traffic each year. Middlesbrough was found to be the least congested UK town or city analysed by TomTom. A ten-year plan to further improve traffic flow in the town, including a new park and ride railway station, was announced in December 2018. Edinburgh was ranked 27th in the world in terms of congestion. Mumbai took the top spot with drivers facing an average of 65% extra travel time in the Indian city. Eiko Schilling, head of navigation at TomTom, said the UK was home to nine cities in the top 100 most congested cities globally. Overall, congestion is up by an average of 1% year-on-year in the UK, a mild increase, but an increase nonetheless. Only Manchester, Glasgow and Portsmouth have seen congestion levels improve. These results show that there is still a lot of work to be done. 
He added, advances in journey planning, autonomous vehicles and car sharing schemes all promise to alleviate congestion in Edinburgh and other cities in the UK and around the world. From the National News Desk. The National News. Recorded on the 4th of June, 2019. Lost medieval Lewis Chessman found in Scottish family's home by Jane Cassidy. A medieval chess piece missing for almost 200 years could fetch £1 million at auction after a family found out the object they kept in a drawer is one of the long-lost Lewis Chessmen. The Chessmen, a famous hoard of 93 objects, were discovered in 1831 on the Isle of Lewis. The whereabouts of five pieces from the collection had remained a mystery. A family has now been told that the late 12th or early 13th century chess piece their grandfather bought for just £5 in 1964 is one of the missing treasures. The antiques dealer from Edinburgh had no idea of the significance of the 8.8 centimetre piece made from walrus ivory, which he passed down to his family. They have looked after it for 50 years without realising its importance until they took it to Southbury's auction house in London. The Lewis Chessmen are among the biggest draws at the British Museum and the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. They are seen as an important symbol of European civilization and have also seeped into popular culture, inspiring everything from children's show Noggin the Noggin to the part of the plot of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Sophie's expert Alexander Kazar, who examined the piece for the family who wished to remain anonymous, said his jaw dropped when he realized what they had in their possession. He said, We get called down to the counter and have no idea what we are going to see. More often than not, it's not worth very much. I said, oh my goodness, it's one of the loose chessmen. It's a little bit bashed up. It has lost its left eye, but that kind of weather-beaten, weary warrior added to its charm. A family spokesman said in a statement, My grandfather was an antiques dealer in Edinburgh, and in 1964 he purchased an ivory chessman from another Edinburgh dealer, presumably unaware he had purchased an important historic artefact. My mother inherited it, it, and for many years it resided in a drawer in her home. The loose chessmen are made up of seated kings and queens, bishops, knights, and standing warders and pawns. Some 82 pieces are in the British Museum, and 11 are held by the National Museum of Scotland. As well as the chess pieces, the hoard includes 14 tablemen, gaming pieces, and a buckle. Since the hoard was uncovered in 1831, one knight and four warders have been missing from the four combined chess sets. The newly discovered piece is a warder, a man with a helmet, shield and sword, and the equivalent of a rook on a modern chessboard, which has immense character and power. The discovery of the board remains shrouded in mystery. It is thought it was buried, possibly by a merchant to avoid taxes after being shipwrecked, soon after the objects were made, and so it remained underground for 500 years. Kedar, who has kept the discovery under wraps for six months while authenticating the find, said, we can safely say that a million pounds will transform the seller's life. He added, there are still four out there somewhere. It might take another 150 years for another one to pop up. The piece will go on display in Edinburgh today and in London just before the auction. By Jane Cassidy. The National, 5th of June 2019. Letters by Bakken Johnson. Trump is being consistent. What exactly does that say about President Donald Trump. When you consider that he speaks fondly about such departs as Kim Jong-un, Mohammed bin Salim and Vladimir Putin, there is also a support of great many right supremacists. Then there is the support of National Rifle Association and there's rabid right-wing membership, who's not consider that for many thousands of victims of mass killings reason enough to at least restrict access to military-grade automatic weapons. I sincerely hope that Trump's endorsement of Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage is seen as further evidence that his judgment is at best suspect or all worst evidence of a deranged mind, written by Harry Kerr. So President Trump has endorsed Boris. What happened to not interfering in another country's affairs? What would the American reaction be if a British politician publicly endorsed an American politician? Written by David Ritchie. The National, 5th of June 2019 Letters We need our own TV stations to respond to biased broadcasting. Unfortunately for Scotland, broadcasting is a reserved issue. We all know that BBC is biased against us, but you have to pay a licence fee to them. 
They inevitably use that money to berate us, and it don't stick to their unpatterly rules. As for the independent television companies, they look to their commercial sponsorship and backers and majority of viewers who are English. This has been a norm for decades now and won't change, so why are we complaining about it and have we learned nothing over the years? After the referendum in 2014, we realised we had to do things on our own. We, the people of Scotland, became motivated to win our freedom and we've marched all over the country. We're doing things this minister and the English establishment can't comprehend. As a result, they're sticking their collective heads in the sand because they don't know what to do and now see Scotland's lost cause. The latest opinion polls put independence at 48%, with a plus or minus about 3%, which could put us just over the line. And that's only for those over 18. Take into consideration those who will have voted on the day, and we could add another 3.04% on this easily. As a result, the people of Scotland now believe that we're going to achieve independence sooner rather than later. In the 1960s, the BBC tried and failed to control the rise of popular music, and as a result, a number of private radio stations emerged, and the BBC had to capulate them rather embarrassingly. However, I'm not advocating that we set up a private television station, but we could set up our own television channel, well within the laws and rules, either via a subscription channel or from a budget allocator at Hollywood. The same English politicians will also have to negotiate the settlement and break up their beloved union they so desperately want to avoid, so obviously they want to deny what is reality and inevitably of the independence movement. Effectively, we, the people of Scotland, have decided that we are an independent nation, and all that matters now is an eagle nestis. As long as we keep on the right side of the law, we can push things to the next stage before Nicola Sturgeon announces a date. A television station is the obvious next step that we need to resolve media bias. The National News, recorded on 6th of June 2019. D-Day, the Scottish forces who fought on crucial day of World War II. By journalist Hamish McPherson. Scotland's contribution to the success of D-Day came in many and varied forms. No, above all, it was the fighting prowess of soldiers, sailors and airmen that made the invasion of Normandy on June 6, 1944, the turning point of the Second World War. What part did Scotland play? The land itself was vital to the preparations for D-Day. Operation Overlord, as the D-Day invasion was named, was many months in preparation. Even before the planning began, Scotland was already home to the bases where many troops were trained, including the commandos and special forces who would play a crucial role on the day itself. People across Scotland knew about the training, but never spoke about it. It was a proud boast of this nation that Germany's intelligence services never appreciated the sheer scale of what was going on. From Agna Carey to Lochaver, where the commandos were trained, to Dundrennan in Kirkudbrickshire, where the armoured units practised, great swaths of Scotland provided the perfect background for the armed forces of Britain, the US and their allies to prepare for D-Day. Inveray in Argyll was the centre for amphibious warfare training, while the Garlock became the US Navy's base. Landings were practised at breaches around Scotland. The Mulberry Harbour, which became the temporary ports after D-Day, were built on the Clyde and tried and tested at Garliston on the Solway Firth, where part of one discarded harbour can still be seen at Wigton Bay. Many more locations in Scotland were used for everything from paratrooper training to naval exercises. What about the Great Bluff? One of the biggest secrets of the war was Operation Fortitude North, Part of the overall project was to deceive the German military. Fortnite North was based around Edinburgh and the Forth and was designed to make German intelligence think the invasion of Europe would be via Norway. The Bluff used a fake Operation Cockade, an army based at Edinburgh Castle, to trick the Germans, fake radio traffic. Operation Sky was invented and newspapers even carried false wedding announcements to make it look as if there were large numbers of troops in Scotland getting married in a hurry as they were about to invade Europe. Commando raids on Norway from Scotland in early 1944 helped to convince the Germans that the invasion would be in the north of their fortress Europe. 
It worked. The German army kept 14 divisions in Norway, even after D-Day, as they were sure an invasion of Norway was still coming from Scotland. What about Thierry and the Wevermen? For months before D-Day, a force of converted Halifax bombers flew from Thierry far out into the Atlantic, measuring temperatures and pressures. The information they gave proved vital in one of the big decisions of the war, one taken by a Scotsman, Group Captain James Martin Stagg from Dalkeith. Knowing what weather was coming in from the Atlantic, Stagg advised the Allies' Supreme Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower not to proceed with the planned invasion date of June 5th, but to delay for 24 hours. He was accurate in his predictions that there would be a weather window for D-Day. On the day itself, one of the first Scottish officers to land in France on D-Day was Lieutenant Colonel, later Brigadier, and Lord Lieutenant of Dumbartonshire, Alistair Pearson, commander of the 8th Battalion of the Parachute Regiment, who were ordered to destroy river bridges at Troern Inland from the invasion beaches. Pearson was shot in the hand by one of his own men as they landed, but insisted on retaining command. He later told the story of waiting breathlessly for the sound of the naval guns pounding the Germans, set for 5.45am prompt. No sound came and Pearson thought that they were done for, only for massive explosions to start a few seconds later. They had forgotten to calculate the time for the sound to travel inland. He received his fourth distinguished service order for his role in Normandy. The most famous Scottish servicemen to take part in D-Day had their roles immortalised in the film The Longest Day. Brigadier Simon Fraser, the 15th Lord Lovett, and his 1st Special Service Brigade of Commandos came ashore on Sword Beach, piped onto the beach by Lovett's personal piper, Bill Millen. They began to march towards the strategically important Pegasus Bridge, which had been captured by the British 6th Airborne Division. Lovett and Millen went forward to the bridge, where Lovett famously apologised for being two minutes late. German snipers drew a bead on Millen, the piper, but did not shoot as they thought he was mad. For most of the Scottish participants, it was a quick dip in the sea, followed by a sheer bloody slog. The 51st Highland Division came ashore in the afternoon and quickly moved several miles inland. Other regiments followed and the beachhead was secured. There would be no going back and certainly not for the 84 Scots who died on D-Day. They above all must be remembered on this day. By journalist Hamish McPherson. That's the end of part one. After the break we'll be back with more great articles from The National. If you are blind or partially sighted, or know somebody who is, they may be eligible to receive a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio, where our daily podcasts are available. To qualify for a free permanent loan from BWBF, you need to be resident in the UK, registered blind or partially sighted, over the age of 8, and in receipt of a means-tested benefit, or have a parent or guardian in receipt if you are under 18. If you think you qualify, you can find your local agent at www.blind.org.uk and remember, when setting up the player, ask for the Q&Review Review channels. Now, back to the main programme. Remember, this weekly digest programme is just a selection of what we produce. You can access more daily content online for free at qandreview.com forward slash free podcasts, for free daily podcasts of the Herald Scotland and Evening Times, and weekly digests of the National and Inside Soap magazine. Alternatively, you can access all of these services via a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio player. Now, back to the main programme. Visually impaired people are being invited to see if they are eligible for a free, specially adapted radio from a charity. The British Wireless for the Blind Fund, BWBF, provides the equipment to those with sight loss around the UK who meet its criteria. Radio is a lifeline to those who are blind and partially sighted, providing companionship and helping them to keep in touch with what's going on in the world, as well as in the local community. BWBF offers equipment free of charge to those who have sight loss and are in receipt of a means-tested benefit. BWBF is launching its Reaching Out campaign to try and increase awareness about their equipment and help more people who are blind and partially sighted. 
Our regional development manager, Sophie Weldon, said, Our radios are designed so that a person with sight loss can use them easily and independently. All equipment is delivered to the home by a volunteer who sets it all up and provides support in using it. We offer a range of equipment, digital radios, CD players, memory stick players, internet radio and even a specially designed app. Our radios are vital to someone who cannot see. They provide news, information and entertainment, but also more importantly companionship and a friendly service. If you or someone you know is interested in a BWBF radio, please contact Sophie Weldon at sophie at blind.org.uk. That is S-O-P-H-I-E at B-L-I-N-D dot org dot UK or phone 01283 That's 01283 or on 07540-724-063. That is 07540-724-063. To find out more about the British Wireless for the Blind Fund, follow us on Twitter at British Wireless, like us on Facebook, or go to blind.org.uk. Now, back to the main programme. Visually impaired people are being invited to see if they are eligible for a free, specially adapted radio from a charity. The British Wireless for the Blind Fund, BWBF, provides the equipment to those with sight loss around the UK who meet its criteria. Radio is a lifeline to those who are blind and partially sighted, providing companionship and helping them to keep in touch with what's going on in the world, as well as in the local community. BWBF offers equipment free of charge to those who have sight loss and are in receipt of a means-tested benefit. BWBF is launching its Reaching Out campaign to try and increase awareness about their equipment and help more people who are blind and partially sighted. Our regional development manager, Sophie Weldon, said, Our radios are designed so that a person with sight loss can use them easily and independently. All equipment is delivered to the home by a volunteer who sets it all up and provides support in using it. We offer a range of equipment, digital radios, CD players, memory stick players, internet radio and even a specially designed app. Our radios are vital to someone who cannot see. They provide news, information and entertainment, but also more importantly companionship and a friendly service. If you or someone you know is interested in a BWBF radio, please contact Sophie Weldon at sophie at blind.org.uk. That is S-O-P-H-I-E at B-L-I-N-D dot org dot UK or phone 01283 That's 01283-790-208 or on 07540-724-063. That is 07540-724-063. To find out more about the British Wireless for the Blind Fund, follow us on Twitter at British Wireless, like us on Facebook, or go to blind.org.uk. Now, back to the main programme. Q and Review Print Speaking to the Blind are a charity based in Bishop Briggs. We're currently looking to recruit volunteer access to audio ambassadors in Eastern Bartonshire to place leaflets and business cards at businesses, shops and amenities in the area and to show the public how to listen to daily and weekly online articles from the Herald Scotland, Evening Times, The National and Inside Soap magazine for free. If you would like to volunteer and become an access to audio ambassador, please contact Michael Rankin on 0141 772 or email aaatl at qandreview.com. That's aaatl at qandreview.com. In addition, we are also recruiting for volunteer readers and technicians. If you're interested in reading or technically supporting a recording team, please contact us on 0141 772 3976 or email information at qandreview.com. Details of all of our volunteering opportunities are available on our website at qandreview.com. Thank you. Now, back to the main programme. Welcome back. The headlines in part two. The National News, recorded on the 6th of June 2019. Biffy Clyro to feature in Balance, No Symmetry Film at EIFF. By journalist Nadine McBay. A film featuring the music and ideas of Biffy Clyro is the People's Gala event at Edinburgh International Film Festival, EIFF. 
Balance, Not Symmetry, described by the EIFF as director Jamie Adams's beautiful cinematic tribute to art, music in Scotland, features original new music from the popular Scots rockers, who last month digitally released a 17-song soundtrack album, also named Balance, Not Symmetry. Biffy Clyro also worked on the film's storyline, which follows a recently bereaved student at Glasgow School of Art. Featuring a cast of Scottish actors, including Kate Dickey, Shauna MacDonald and Freya Maver, the film screens at EIFF's £5 People's Gala at the Edinburgh Festival Theatre. It's one of three key films related to Scotland's music culture at this year's EIFF, which runs from June the 19th to June the 30th. In Shimmers, Dundee-born writer-slash-director David McLean recalls his early years in the city's music business as a rookie promoter. Shot exclusively around Dundee, the 70s set film stars Connor Berry as Davy, a young man determined to avoid a real job through his increasingly ambitious gambles. That latter phrase recalls Bill Drummond, the artist, musician and writer, unlikely to be forgotten for having burned £1 million. In 1994, after worldwide success of the KLF, his chart-beating pop outfit with Jimmy Cotty, and yes, the affable Queen of the South fan regrets it. In Best Before Death, Irish documentary maker Paul Duan follows Drummond over a two-year period as he takes his art and ideas to local communities in the US and India. Scottish actor and activist Tam Dean Byrne will join other guests in a special event before the EIFF screening. By journalist Nadine McBay. The National, Thursday the 6th of June 2019. News. Hear who is on the Question Time panel this week. By the Joker, Troublemaker. Donald Trump was in town this week, in case you hadn't heard. So it's app that Question Time have invited on his number one fan. Piers Morgan, who once again interviewed the President this week, will join the panel of BBC's flagship political panel show. After a furious SNP response to suggestions that the NHS could be up for grabs in a UK-US post-Brexit trade deal, panellist Drew Hendry, an SNP MP, will doubtless have some choices words for Morgan. The programme will be broadcast on BBC One Scotland at 10.35pm. Fiona Bruce will host the show, which this week is held in Thetford, Norfolk. Appearing on the panel would be Nicky Morgan, Tory MP who is backing Michael Gove in the Conservative Party leadership contest. Annalise Dodds, remaining supporting Labour Treasury Minister and Oxford East MP. Drew Hendry, SNP business spokesperson and MP for Inverness, Nairn, Badenoch and Stratsbury since 2015. Alison Phillips, Daily Mirror editor and columnist, formerly worked for the Sunday People and New Day. And Piers Morgan, Good Morning Britain host and former Britain's Got Talent judge. Trump's visit to the UK and comments about the NHS are bound to be a hot topic for discussion. The Tories are also in the midst of selecting their next leader from an infinite field of forgettable candidates, the majority of which are seemingly unfinded in their commitment to a hard Brexit and denying Scotland's rights to an independence referendum. But with a Scottish MP on the panel, the interests of the Scottish people may get a rare moment in the spotlight down south. This article is written by The Joker, Troublemaker. For National, 4th of June 2019. Trump to hold talks with UK Environment Secretary Michael Gove. The US President praised Gove's leadership rival Boris Johnson in the run-up to his visit, but his team have requested a meeting with Environment Secretary. A source close to the Environment Secretary told the Press Association Mr Gove was asked last night by Trump's team if he would be able to meet the President today, and he said yes. Nothing has been fixed yet. The source indicated the meeting was likely to be a one-to-one basis, which could prove embarrassing to Theresa May, as the talks with the President are likely to involve senior ministers and officials rather than just two leaders. Ahead of the trip, Trump had indicated he might meet Johnson and Brexit Party leader Nigel Farage. Sources close to Brexit Party leader refused to be drawn on whether he would meet the President. 
A Trump baby blimp and a 16-foot talking robot of Trump sitting on a gold toilet and White Hill ahead of Downing Street. Talks between the PM and the President, which are expected to focus on role of the Chinese telecoms in the 5G Next Generation Communications Network. Earlier on day two on Trump's state visit, the President and Mayor hosted roundtable talks with business leaders St. James Place, attended by Duke of York, senior ministers, officials and senior representatives of five US and five British firms. And Mayor said that there would be huge opportunities for Britain and the US to work together in the future. It is a great partnership, but I think a partnership we can take even further. Of course, that is with a good liberal trade deal, and she told the US President... But while the PM hosts Trump, opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn will be gearing up to address demonstrators in society with those he asked in America, around the world, in our own country. The Labour leader who refused an invitation to Monday's evening state banquet is due to be joined by political parties including members of the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party. The National, 6th of June 2019. Letters. Donald Trump is a clown, not a statesman to be fawned over. The Donald doesn't seem so out of place, but should be set foot aside. The Donald doesn't seem so out of place, but should be set foot outside London. It would be a different story in Scotland. He just wouldn't blend in the same here. Here in Hollywood, the powers that aren't a circus act, but normal people having to battle to achieve self-government for the country. The Americans should be thankful they had people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson around when they were battling for independence 250 years ago. It is to be hoped more of them will think about this next year during the next presidential campaign. Written by Ian Johnston The National, 6th of June 2019 Donald Trump in dramatic U-turn of US access to the NHS he has used a joint appearance of Theresa May on Tuesday to say the NHS would be on a table as part of a phenomenal potential transnistic deal. Trump held out of the prospect of a deal that would potentially triple the volume of trade between the two countries and made clear that there could be no limit to the scope of their discussions. But in a U-turn yesterday, he used a major TV interview to say I don't see it being on a table. I think that the NHS was something that I would not consider part of a trade. His original remarks triggered a backlash from the SNP, Tory leadership hopefuls, Labour and trade unions. At Prime Minister's question yesterday, the SNP Deputy West Minister leader Kirsty Blackman said Trump and the Tories could not be trusted on the NHS. Donald Trump cannot be trusted to keep his hands off our NHS and the Tories are plotting to block the Scottish Government having any veto such over a damaging deal, said Blackman. The SNP Government will fight to end to defend for Scotland's public services from this unprecedented Tory Brexit danger. Our NHS was remain in public hands. It is not and should never be up for sale. Trump used an interview with Good Morning Britain to backpedal on the issue. Turning host Piers Morgan, I don't see it being on the table. Somebody asked me a question today, and I say everything is up for negotiation because everything is, but I don't see that as being that something that I would consider part of a trade. The National News, recorded on the 7th of June 2019. Theresa May resigns as leader of the Conservative Party from the National News Desk. Theresa May has formally stood down from her position as Conservative Party leader, although she will carry on as Prime Minister and Acting Party leader until its successor is in place. May will confirm her decision in an exchange of letters with the Joint Acting Chairman of the Backbench 1922 Committee, Charles Walker and Dame Cheryl Gillen. A call for leadership candidates will be issued at 5pm, with nominations opening at 10am on Monday and closing at 5pm the same day. Under a timetable set out by the party high command, it is expected the new leader will be in place in the week beginning July the 22nd, following a postal ballot of the party's 120,000 grassroots members. May steps down amid a growing row with Chancellor Philip Hammond over her plans to leave with a series of big spending announcements, including a multi-billion pound overhaul of England's schools and colleges, according to the Financial Times. The reported row comes after Downing Street defended the need for ambitious action to tackle climate change, following warnings from the Treasury that cutting the UK's greenhouse gas emissions to zero by 2050 will cost £1 trillion. 
Even as the formalities around May's departure were taking place, the 11 contenders to so far declare in the race to succeed her were engaged in increasingly bitter exchanges. Former Brexit Secretary Dominic Raab was at the centre of a political storm after he suggested he could be prepared to suspend Parliament to prevent it blocking a no-deal Brexit on October the 31st. Home Secretary Sajid Javid became the latest contender to denounce the idea, branding it anti-democratic and anti-British. Javid also took a sideswipe at leadership frontrunner Boris Johnson over his comments last year saying Muslim women who wear the burqa looked like letterboxes. I think they are wrong. I don't think they are the right comments. I don't think any serious politician should use language like that, he said. Meanwhile, Michael Gove received a boost as Tory party vice-chairman Kemi Badenoch announced she was quitting her post at Conservative headquarters to join his campaign. Writing in The Sun, she said she was supporting the Environment Secretary because she believed he could deliver on the 2016 referendum result. Anyone can make promises, and it is no good just believing in Brexit if you can't actually deliver, she said, in a clear dig at his rivals like Rab. And suspicious of anyone proposing simple answers, shutting down Parliament until no deal, a snap general election, or an immovable Brexit deadline. If there were simple solutions, they would have been tried already. Javid, along with fellow leadership hopefuls Esther McVeigh, Rory Stewart and Matt Hancock, have all stated they would block a Section 30 order for a second independence referendum if installed as Prime Minister. From the National News Desk The National News, recorded on the 7th of June 2019. Line of Duty star Martin Compton calls for Euro 2020 matches by Jane Cassidy. Line of Duty star Martin Compton is backing a campaign to find volunteers to help ensure the success of four Euro 2020 football matches being played at Hampden Park next summer. The actor said it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance to experience a major football tournament from the inside. Glasgow has been chosen as one of 12 host cities across Europe. Up to 1,000 volunteers are needed to help deliver the Games on June 15th, 19th, 23rd and 30th. Compton, who was on the books of Aberdeen and Greenock Morton, was on hand at the National Football to help promote the volunteer programme, with applications now available online. Compton said the Euro 2020 is the biggest football event ever to come to our country, so we really want to make sure that we give Europe and the world our famous Scottish welcome. There are a range of ways that volunteers can help support this amazing event, and I encourage anyone with a passion for the game and volunteering to get involved. Interviews will be held between July and November, with training scheduled for next April to May, ahead of the tournament taking place. Operating areas will include ceremonies, event transport, ticketing and venue management. Anyone applying must be aged 18 or over and available for all four games, with some rules requiring availability from May 2020. Scottish Football Association Chief Executive Ian Maxwell said, We are committed to supporting a diverse range of participants and ensuring that everybody has access to the volunteer programme. Scotland has a real history of being able to put on high-quality, high-profile events and the association has been a key player. I think it's a very fitting way to celebrate the competition's 60th anniversary, opening it up to as many supporters and volunteers as we can, Take top-class elite-level football to as many supporters across the continent as we can. It's a great initiative. By Jane Cassidy The National News, recorded on the 7th of June, 2019. There were so many lies, says Natalie McGarry's former colleague. By journalist Andrew Learmonth. I don't know what's true about Natalie anymore, one of the disgraced former MP's colleagues in Women for Independence told The National last night. When the woman, who is senior in the organisation and who has asked me not to be named, met McGarry for the first time in 2013, she felt as if she'd met a true friend, a soulmate, someone that I'd been very close to for a long time. It was years before she realised that her relationship with McGarry was based on a tissue of deceit and a web of lies. There were so many lies, she added. It's heartbreaking. All I wanted from 2015 until today was for Natalie to turn around and say, I've messed up. Can we all be friends? I miss Natalie. Well, I don't so much miss her now, but I miss the person I thought she was. I miss what I thought we had. I mean, we were close. And then she just shut down all contact with me when the investigation started. I don't know who she is. I don't know if she believes herself. I don't know whether her supporters believe her. 
The women in WFI found themselves vilified by some in the independence movement for phoning the police on McGarry. The XMP comes from an SNP dynasty. Her mum, Alice, is a veteran councillor in Fife. Her aunt is former Holyrood presiding officer, Trisha Marek. There are plenty of supporters rushing to our defence, including staff members working in the office of government minister. I remember having a scream fight with my friend who works at SNP HQ, our source told us. He was going, you've got no proof, and I'm going, I have got proof. Of course I've got proof. Do you think I'm going to ruin a woman's life without proof? Do you think any of us were going to ruin a woman's life without proof? We knew it had happened. It wasn't a case of, oh, there's a wee bit of money missing, let's go get the police. There were comprehensive attempts by WFI to sort this out, because we didn't want it to be true. When we realised it was, we had no choice. It would have been disgraceful for WFI to cover up the fact that money given to us, we £5 donations here and there, hadn't gone to where it was meant to be going to. Another woman, who worked close with McGarry at WFI, said it was hard to feel sorry when she has dragged us out this long and she's still not admitting what she's done. She said, it's been horrible not knowing what's going to happen for four years. Every private number I fought is the police. Every letter I've not recognised, I thought it was the courts. I wish she'd apologise and then everyone can move on. By journalist Andrew Learmonth. The National, 7th of June 2019. Glasgow and Aberdeen Airport strike after a mid-pension row. Members of Unite Union at Glasgow and Aberdeen airports walked out at 4am on Friday. It follows a breakdown in talks about pensions and pay with owner AGS airports. Unite said Glasgow airport had withdrawn from negotiations over its proposal to close a pension scheme to existing members, which the union says broke an existing ACAS agreement made in 2016. A further 12-hour strike is planned at both airports on June 10th and a four-hour walkout in Glasgow on June 14th. AGS Airport said robust contingency plans will be in place to ensure that both airports are fully operational. However, there are delays at security at Glasgow Airport with queues longer than normal. The airport treated we apologised to our customers for the delay after security this morning. Following the commencement of industrial action, our transition to our contingency security, we have experienced longer than normal queues. The National, 7th of June 2019. Former SNP MP Natalie McGarry is jailed for 18 months. Sheriff Paul Croizer knocked back a last-minute plea for a community sentence from a former MP's lawyer, turning a court that the sentencing threshold had been passed. She had shown no remorse for her conduct and had tried to avoid responsibility for her actions. McGarry stole more than £21,000 from Women for Independence and £4 million from the SNP's Glasgow Regional Association. The embezzled cash was spent on debts, a holiday to Spain with her husband and other lifestyle spending. Though she had initially attempted guilt when she appeared in court in April, she later unsexually attempted to have that plea withdrawn. Alan McLeod, who represented Bengali, said his client maintained her innocence. In his plea for mitigation, he also shocked the court when he revealed that Bengali had a suffering and miscarriage just three days ago. Two weeks ago, she considered that life couldn't get any worse, and when it did, she was pregnant and miscarried. That happened on Sunday, and that is something that, for her, has been absolutely devastating. She is at the lowest point in her life she has been. Her career is ruined, her reputation is in tatters. She has lost friends, colleagues, her reputation and job. Sheriff Kaiser, however, said that it was not of that. At no time throughout the conduct of this prosecution before me has been any verification of any of the matters raised being provided to me. He told McGarry, your fraud and deceit is the most serious type. You are in position of trust, voluntary and not paid, and you abused those powers. You have fought your own conduct, fallen very far from the short of standards that the general public should be able to expect from only those whom they trust, with their hard-earned money, to use for specific purposes, but in your case for elected representatives. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The National. This weekly talking newspaper digest was a Q&Review recording service production. The readers were volunteers at Q&Review and the producer was Jordan Duncan. 
and Review Recording Service Limited is a registered Scottish charity. Number SC018016. Our registered office is at 18 Crowhill Road, Bishop Briggs, Glasgow, G641QY. Remember, you can always get in contact with us by email at information at qandreview.com or by leaving us a message on our answering service at 0141 772 3976.